from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody? Ross Martin still out on assignment. He was back for one day, and we sent him back out. He is covering the uh, Patriots angle of the Broncos' upcoming AFC Championship game. Yes. So we sent him into the blizzard, but making his way all the way down here from Thornton, the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? And uh, we actually have two very special guests today, Nick. We do. We'll start with Chris Dempsey of the Denver Post. Christopher Dempsey, excuse me. Yeah, let's don't, get that right. Started out the Chris on a bow tie. And then the sweet sounds you're hearing, of course, Mr. Michael Lee of Yahoo Sports. Can we also say the vertical? The vertical, yes, that'll be very soon. Yes, the vertical, very good. But thank you for joining us, guys. We appreciate you guys being here. Um, Tell us a little bit why you're in Denver, Michael. You don't have to give everything away, but you've been here for about a week. Uh, yeah, about f- uh, six, five days or so. Um, uh, but I, I'm, the main thing is that uh, there'll be a story running, uh, you know, soon just on uh, just the process that a, a coach goes into preparing for a team and uh, and just the behind the scenes, just um, just what it takes, the amount of time invested, um, you know, from – Film sessions to practices to, you know, game prep, everything that goes into just being an NBA coach. And uh, the subject will be Mike Malone. So uh, he allowed me to step inside his world for a little bit and spend some time with the team. So I'm hoping that it'll be a story that people enjoy. Hopefully the, uh, all the explicitives make it into the story. Michael Malone. <laughs> all those explicitives. There, there were a few used, uh, especially after practice. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, I think it'll be fun. I mean, and also just, just his, his whole history, um, you know, being a coach's son, um, having to um, – he's the only son, I think, uh, that decided to take this path. Uh, you know, his dad, Brendan Malone, assistant with the Pistons, he's been in the game for a long time and uh, – you know, so it's a unique, unique story just from where he comes from. And then you look at uh, the fact that, you know, he just had a situation in Sacramento where things didn't work out too well, even though he had done a pretty decent job um, and was able to connect with a star that people didn't think anybody could connect with. Um, and now he's left that behind, and now he has to kind of start over with the, with a situation where the expectations aren't as high. And uh, – but – he still is really intense. He's really super intense and super uh, uh, dejected after every loss. I mean, even though this team isn't expected to win, he's not accepting of a tanking situation. So he's still trying to push and encourage. And uh, I guess the one thing that that stood out to me this week is the uh, attitude um, of the team overall. It's like, you know, they, they lose a game and then that's it. It's over. They move on the next day. They're in good spirits, and they still feel like they can win the next game. And um, you know, I've I've covered losing teams for a while. I've covered the Wizards when they were, when they stunk um, <laughs> during the uh, JaVale McGee, uh, Andre Blatch, Nick Young era. <laughs> um, I covered the Hawks uh, when they stunk, and uh, so I, I know what losing can do in terms of confidence, in terms of chemistry. And uh, so far, you know, through the first half of this season, it looks like this group, you know. It's not you know one likes losing, but it looks like their attitude following losses and their perspective and where they are and where they stand in the in the west um it's 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 pretty impressive. We actually heard um Mike Miller walk by this morning and 
joked with you about, you know, maybe you can write my book since you've been here for so long. <laughs> I didn't actually hear what he said, but I'm glad you told me. I, I was like, what did he just say? Yeah. There's like, a couple of people on Twitter that said, well, no, he's got to write about the Wizards, the Andre Blatch, oh, the yeah, that, Nick that Young period. and JaVale McGee area first. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. first. I've, I've had a lot of people say that they want me to write about that period and um, well, especially uh, just looking at that 2009-2010 season uh, with Gilbert Arenas and the Javaris Crittenton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, just considering how things turned for the franchise and also for those guys' careers, I mean, it definitely would be a compelling uh, a story. But uh, as, as the guy who covered the team during that period – I will say that that is not a fun period that I want to necessarily <laughs> You don't want to relive that? Uh, <laughs> the eye starts twitching. Oh, you my know, gosh. <laughs> it, it wasn't fun. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a fun period because um, I don't think I've ever encountered a situation where it wasn't just a conflict between teammates. This was a legal matter. Right. And, hmm. you know, people had to be very careful about what they said to me. People had to be careful about um, a lot of things. And a lot of people had to cover their tails and – I heard so many different versions of what happened that it made it a really difficult thing to cover. And uh, and I'm sure now, almost you know, five, six years later, people still have their versions that don't always add up. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so it, it, was, it was a really difficult thing to cover, and it was not enjoyable at all. So I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe when I'm far enough removed that it doesn't uh, make me – ill maybe but the trauma has worn off <laughs> that, that, that will be the end of career like kind of like i'm gonna look back and like i don't i don't have to deal with this anymore so i can't like i'm i'm, I'm not gonna have the don't have to take you know the the, the pepto-bismol before i yes. before i write the story or anything like that <laughs> yeah because you know when you're a beat writer you're around it you cannot get away with it no. you, can, you cannot get away from just the overall i noticed last year with um well the three of us uh, uh nate uh myself and mr dempsey here being around the nuggets then it just takes a toll on yeah. you because it gets just so relentless and it goes on yeah, and on it, it and was on. it was different because you know like i said i've been around teams that disappointed i've been around teams that were bad i've been around teams that uh you know came short of expectations i just never been around a team that had went th- went through all that had so much dissension had so many guys that just didn't like being with each other, being around each other, and then were pulling at me and telling me what was going on and not knowing what to believe, not knowing who was telling mm-hmm. the truth. That put me in a tough spot. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I would talk to guys and try to get them to give me sincere, honest answers, and I would believe them. And then, you know, I'd write it and then realize, you know what, I don't know, you know, and that that's not a good place to be. Uh, so... Um, I mean, I, I think that looking back and seeing how things turned out, you know, there there are some situations where um, I think I probably would have handled things differently. There are ways I probably would have approached the story a little differently. Um, but, uh, but yeah, t- for me, the, I think the toughest thing of that whole year was just the tra- um, trajectory of uh, Javaris Crittenton's life, not his career, but his life. Um, because, and a lot of people don't don't know this about him, and they see a guy who, brought a gun in the locker room and they feel that, um, you know, oh, well, he's just a thug and he's just this and that. But I will tell you that anybody who was around him up until that point would say that, yeah, he had some things he was dealing with, but he was really a good kid. <laughs> and nobody mm-hmm. really understands that. Yeah. People yeah. think he was like, oh, what? How could he be a good kid? Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, he, he made a really big mistake. And nobody was aware of him at the time. And that was really his introduction to the world. 
and that's not the way you want to be introduced. <laughs> no. Uh, so at that point, I think in a lot of ways he felt he had to live up to an image that didn't necessarily match him. And now the guy's in jail. And uh, so it's, it, to me, I hate seeing that happen, but there, there's a lot there. Oh, man. Uh, if I ever did decide to pursue it. Probably yeah. get a couple books out of that. Trilogy. I know for Jeff and myself, we were lucky enough to kind of come into this when George Carl was here and the Nuggets were, were playing very well. Chris, you've been around this a little longer, but have you been? Have you covered the Nuggets when they were bad before George? Were you around then? Uh, bad before George. <clears throat> gosh, just the year prior, but they weren't that bad. It was, uh, you know, that was Bastelic and oh, yeah. Melo had already been here, and so that they were getting better. Uh, no, I, I was just growing up when they were really bad. <laughs> you know, so you know, I, you know, we, you know, yeah. we went to the games. It was McNichols Arena at the time, um, and so it just it felt bad. You knew it. You, we, we all know what they put on the court. Last two years have been, uh, you know, it, it reminded me actually of covering some college teams that I've covered when you know the seasons go bad fast. And then you're then you're just writing one lost game story after another lost game story after another lost game story, and players don't want to talk to you, and coaches are tired of you, and it just goes on and on and on. That's kind of what it was the last two seasons, and then last year, obviously, when when Brian got uh, fired, uh, you know that was a whole other layer to things. But um, yeah, it was. Those are difficult locker rooms, especially even when even if they're good locker rooms, the, the guys are good. They're just tired of answering the same questions, and quite frankly, I'm tired of asking the same yeah, questions. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. you know, I, I think that's the one thing that they don't quite understand. I, yeah. I was about to jump in. I remember uh, when I covered the Hawks, and um, they had Stephen Jackson on the team, and uh, you know, obviously, he was a he's a great guy to be around, especially if they're winning. If they're losing, not not so much. And uh, and I, I remember going to the locker room after a loss and asking Stephen the question. He's like, "Man." Remember what I said yesterday after the loss? <laughs> Take those same quotes, put them in the story, and just rewrite it the same way. And I was like, all right, Steve. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that. And, and just, I was like, well, I'll, I'll use that exact quote. <laughs> we'll, we'll just put, put it, what you said just now and yeah, we'll put it in there. That, that works pretty good for me. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny. We, um, uh, in 2013, um, well, actually, it was January 1st was the fabled uh, Philadelphia game where Andre Miller yells at Brian Shaw. And I remember the next day, it was um, the air around the building was very heavy. It's hard to, hard to explain people who aren't really around it. And uh, you were there that day, Chris. Yeah. The next day, uh, it was me, you, me, and Mark Hisla. I was there for a while. And I you were there. And then, you had to, and then Nate had to leave. <laughs> and it was like waiting <laughs> for a funeral, for waiting for Brian oh, yeah, Shaw to meetings. come out. It was just – it was – and everything actually from that moment changed. Like the vibe from that moment on just got worse and worse and worse, even into the next season. <clears throat> and the players started getting more and more like – you're asking me this again, and uh, it's 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 strange, you know. Covering the process of covering, and this is me uh, only being around this thing for the last four years. Covering this, when you look at a team as bad as it like bad as it got last year, the players look at you, and what I've experienced is like they like this guy's going to ask me the same damn question again <laughs> how many times can i answer the same question again how can I, and then you find yourself thinking what am i going to ask tonight what what am i going to say to these people that they I, I haven't heard before because you know they're all willing to answer the same question again when they're winning 
Yeah. But when they're losing, they they don't really have the same attitude. Well, yeah? One thing I can remember from you know when I covered the Wizards uh, with Javel and Dre and Nick and those guys, like that was, to be honest, they lost, but they were fun to cover. Yeah. Because after games, generally they had interesting stuff to say, hmm. and there was always some law. Something happened in the game was some, I had never seen before. Like they <laughs> lost in a way where it wasn't like oh they just they they you know they got down to a slow start, then it came back and no, it was never always the same thing. There was always something ridiculous that happened <laughs> during the game that I could just you know, focus on. And that was always what I did. It's like, okay, what, what happened tonight that was totally different mm. than the other nights? Because chances are there are going to be uh, some situations where, um, you know, there's just something crazy happens. Like I remember um, one night uh, they, the, the Wizards, they were just getting blown out by the uh, Bulls and uh, JaVale McGee, former great nugget. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, great, great in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> he... He got a triple double, uh, uh, and it was probably one of the more heavily panned triple doubles. But I always say, you know, I'm never going to discredit anybody who gets 12 blocks in a game. If right. you get 12 blocks in yeah. a game, yeah. it is the most legit thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Javale struggled to get that tenth point, and uh, and it was just such a uh, it, was, it was it was my whole story because it was just incredible <laughs> that you know he had not he he had he had seven points, and he got fouled on a layup, so. He made the layup, gave him nine. He makes the free throw. He gets ten. The triple doubles there. It's done. Misses the free throw. So at this point, he's chasing that ten. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for me, it's like, oh my gosh, this is this is my story. Like it's not even that they're getting blown out by twenty. Yeah. It's Javale's chase for the triple double. Like and, uh-huh. I, and I was like, in my mind, I was like that's what I got to write. And I got to write about Javale's chase for a triple double. And on three consecutive possessions, they gave the ball to Javale in the low post to go to work. And I think, um, was it Kurt Thomas? I think it was Kurt Thomas was on the Bulls, and he was guarding JaVale. And everybody on the Bulls knew what was happening. They knew JaVale was trying to get that point. And Kurt Thomas is just shoving him out of the pain, <laughs> like making sure, like, you are not getting this point on me, buddy. Like, so JaVale, like, tr- turns it over. He sh- shows up a hook that, like, hits all glass, and he misses another shot. And, like, it's three break possessions, and, like, it's just getting out of hand. So actually, after a while, John Wall just gets – pissed he gets angry and just says okay i'm uh, forget it so he takes the ball just goes all the way into the lane draws like four guys you know goes up to the rim and then just dishes it off to javel javel dunks it and there he is he gets a triple double but he wasn't done <laughs> he does a pull up on the rim and slaps the backboard and just screams at the top of his lungs like ah now mind you to cut the lead to 19. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going crazy, oh you know, uh, with this dunk. And he gets a technical, and then everybody starts rolling their eyes. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, they lost again. But this is a unique situation that I have to address. And so that stuff kind of made it fun. Uh, and I, I remember um, uh, after they had traded everybody away and gotten a name, and they made the playoff run, I think, the next year, um, or two years later, they made the playoff run. And um, and I was like, you know what? They're winning more. But it's not as much fun because they're winning more. It's like there's not <laughs> something crazy going on. Like there's no ridiculous stat chasing. There's no yeah. – like these are like professionals. <laughs> like, I, you don't even know what to do with yourself. Oh, what, what is this? I was like, wait, how do I do? Uh, this, I got to write stories. And, <laughs> 
Like, about, I got a like, positive story? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny, man. That's, yeah. that's what I found when you were talking about earlier about this, and, and we've seen it, I, th- I think, is this, this culture shift that's going on here of, of, you know, this locker room being in Denver being a lot different. Do you guys feel as, as reporters that you get a really good sense of for what the locker room is? Because we're only in there for, for certain amounts of time, but do we get a sense of what locker rooms are truly like as reporters? You know, uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, because they're totally different individuals when we step out of the locker room. You know, they're a lot more comfortable around each other and whatever's going to happen is is what's going to happen. The vibe that we are kind of privy to, that we we are are let into is, you know, it kind of depends on the individual and and what they've kind of gone through. I mean, are they – are these guys real – uh, do they not have they been burned in the past and now they now they're apprehensive at all times have they not been burned in the past and they're with open arms at all times do they have an agenda and so they're telling you something on the sly yeah um but i think you can generally tell at least i think i've been able to generally tell uh what locker rooms what groups of individuals like each other and what groups of individuals are kind of fractured mm-hmm. and um that kind of stuff is pretty obvious even when you're just even when there's a lot of media in the locker room and you're just kind of standing around, uh, so you know, and and that's you know that, that's kind of and, and me in Denver, it's it's been you guys know this. There's not much of us. There's not many of us in no. much much media in Denver. No. So I've been able. To, I think I've been able to see more in in my time here than you know. It's certainly Michael in Washington D.C. Oh yeah. There's just tons of people everywhere, and it's you know it's a little bit more difficult to get to the players to understand what's going on with the dynamics of the locker room. So I think here has been a little bit easier to figure those things out on a season to season basis. Yeah, I think it's better when you have fewer guys on the beat. Um, like I, I've only had to deal with a competitor I think maybe two or three times, you know, on the beat where I had somebody there every day where you know. I mean, you're by yourself. I mean, you can kind of pick it up. But I always feel like we get a sanitized version of things uh, just because you don't know what goes on in those film sessions. You don't know what's going on in practices. We get, like, you know, we get to see them watch – we get to see them shoot free throws, you know. Right. Uh, After games, you know, they're showering and guys are going their separate ways. So sometimes you can pick up things. You can know when – you can sense or you hear, like, a veiled shot, you know, in Mm -hmm. in a comment. Where you're like, oh wait, what? you know, and then you know, then you also have to work the room too, um, you know, not just talking to guys on the record, but off the record, getting a sense of what's really going on. But I, I still think even then, you you get a real sanitized version of it, where it's not, where you don't understand the depths of like, if you know, guys don't like each other, but you don't always know why, right? Yeah, what right. led to you know it? It's there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't know until, <laughs> yeah. and you usually find out later. Oh, she was sleeping with him. <laughs> right. uh, he wanted right. that, and, and yeah. then, you, but that, like, you don't know, like, why you're in it. Sometimes, like, oh, that's where the beef is from. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, or sometimes it'll be something kind of silly, and you don't pick that up until after the fact. Um, so, like, we, you kind of get a sense of what's going on in there, but you don't fully know. And then sometimes, like, when people have nothing to lose, like, oh, you know what really happened with that. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> right. Dang. You told me that when <laughs> it was going on. There's always a, there's always a, a, a below-the-surface, uh, like, there's always a Jamal or a uh, Jim Jackson, Jason Kidd situation where you're like, 
You know, there's some backstory to why. Well, yeah, I, I, I give you a good example, actually. You know, l- the the last year with the Nuggets, we knew it was bad in the locker room. We this knew was, generally it was yeah. bad in the locker yeah. room. But what I didn't know was just exactly how bad it was until every all the individuals were gone, and now yeah. you start hearing, you know, people start telling you what was really going on behind mm-hmm, the scenes, mm-hmm. and you're blown away by some of the stuff that you hear. Oh, yeah. And so... You know, while you think you know, you probably knew about seven percent of, of, of <laughs> exactly. what you know of, of the of the pie. So, so you know, it's amazing, and I I, I believe Nate, Tim, you uh, experienced um, after a game uh, something with Aaron Aflalo, where he was leaving, and, uh, and I'm, I'm pointing to you as if people can uh, can we have a video here, but Nate, yeah. and you know, there's there's you hear things that you're not allowed to say. And then you just keep it to yourself, and then they're like little little tidbits of information that are out there, and then it's like putting together a little puzzle at the end of the year, figuring out okay, well this guy didn't like this guy, this guy didn't like this guy, or there was a situation with this guy over here that you didn't know about, but it's always something that you don't find about until much later, even with our access. But here's what you have to do as a beat writer: put those pieces together fast. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying. So you you have to be picking up on it, and then start piecing it together so that at some point you have a picture now that you can act on that in terms of reporting on that. Yeah. Like I, I remember a situation, um, uh, that, that year oh nine ten where I, um, well, I'd always heard, you know, that this, uh, Gilbert and Karan didn't always get along and, you know, um, so you always heard that stuff, but I never wrote it cause it's like they're on the court, you know, they're both all stars are getting their numbers. Yeah. And, uh, but then that year, you know, Gilbert, um, after one practice, made a shot. Took a, I mean, he didn't call out Karan by name, but you knew exactly who he was talking about. And at that point, you know, you can't just write the story that, you know, Gilbert, you know, called out some unnamed team. You, know, you knew exactly who it was. And then the fact that I knew the back story with their, you know, um, you know their, their, their disagreements or whatever – at that point, it's like, well, it's public knowledge now. He's come out here and said it. Yeah. So whatever's you know I've heard behind the scenes, now it's time to go ahead and let people know this wasn't just some fluky comment. This was this has been building up, and then that that's where as a beat writer, your time around the team and the fact that you know details when situations like that come up, you can actually, you know, tell everybody like this isn't just something you can throw away. Right. This wasn't like if he comes back the next day and says, Oh, I was just joking. No, no, no. No, no you're not <laughs> you joking. <know>? So <laughs> yeah. and I, I think that's 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 where yeah. that that's from being around guys and mm-hmm. spending time with them and uh you can put things together and then you gotta just pick and choose when you wanna do it because, you know, a lot of times if you hear, you know, behind the scenes stuff about um, you know, off the record stuff, mm-hmm. you just kinda say that in your back pocket. You right. don't necessarily just wanna Put it all because then, then you then you lose trust. You oh, know, yeah. with guys, they don't want to tell you anything. Cause it's yeah. like, man, I just told, you know. But yeah. when something like that becomes a, an event, then it's like, oh, you know what? Like I'm sure you probably had to deal with situations where you maybe heard stuff about Ty Lawson or something. Or sure, absolutely. And your your situation actually really reminds me of Andre Miller, which you started off talking about. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, so the event that got everybody's attention was what he did out on the court with Brian Shaw, but what people didn't know was this had been really brewing through you know pretty much all season long yep and it just came to a head in that one instance and then so now you catch people up and say okay well this is not just he didn't just do this out of the he 
it came out of the blue, but it wasn't really an out of the blue situation. Mm-hmm. Here's what led up to this, and so yeah, you can see it now with mm-hmm. the uh, the reporting on David Blatt, mm-hmm. where it's like they're thirty and eleven. So from the outside looking in, you're like, look all right to me. Yeah, they got the yeah. doors blown yeah. off against Golden State. Yeah. And then, well, but then you know, ever since he got fired, now you're seeing all the the, the beat writers who cover the Cavs or you know, basically laying it out for you. This is what was going on, you know, with this team and why they they weren't enjoying what was happening. And it's like, oh, yeah. But that comes from being around the situation for a year and a half and saying, okay. Um, so a lot of times it, it takes time and and it takes uh, just being familiar with guys and. And for a situation to happen to blow up to where, like, okay, now I got to tell everybody what I know. And it, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with that because, like, with Shaw last year, I mean, up until the moment he was fired, I there was a, one of his assistants that was causing issues, and you could I couldn't really sit, I, no one here could really say anything about it. And then he was gone, and then I had to kind of point it out in an article that this guy is was a major factor of why people were not respecting Brian Shaw. And I think that part is something that I, I was frustrated myself that I couldn't really say anything about because it was kind of there. But there was, there was so complicated, as, you know, as Chris could tell you and, and Nate could tell you, it was so complicated. There was so many different dynamics going on that it, it, it's kind of like, is this something that is worth reporting on? Until after the fact, anyway, because none of this stuff is going to come out anyway until the end, and then you just kind of have to, as you were saying, piece it together fast, especially if someone makes a comment on the record. You know, let's, yeah. uh, well, if a team, let's just say Branchaw's team went to the playoffs, let's just say they won fifty games and went to the playoffs, but you knew what was happening behind the scenes. Okay, so at, if if it doesn't come out on the court, and then it doesn't end up being a problem anywhere else, really, beside yeah. then. Those are the stories that never get told. Yep. You know, that's yeah. just is what it is. Um, but if somebody gets fired or somebody gets released or traded, or, you know, like then these are things that start to get told because mm-hmm. they had a huge effect on things. Yeah. I've kind of found it interesting, too. I mean, a mutual player, JaVale McGee, when he was in Denver, I found myself because you'd hear from other guys like he's so smart. He knows all this technology stuff. He's funny. He's this mm-hmm. and that. And you try to build a relationship and talk to him. And it was like you could, I, I couldn't get anywhere with him. It was no. it was frustrating. I felt like, well, did something happen in Washington? Is it all this shacked in a fool stuff? Like, you know, what kind of shut him down from the media? But I don't know if was he any he, better. He was in he was shut down from day one. Yeah, um, the minute he got drafted, um, I, I remember uh, his rookie year. Uh, you know, we we wanted to interview him, and I remember one time <laughs> we talked to him. I think I recorded it for seven and a half minutes. And I said, wow, we just did seven and a half minutes, and we have one minute of JaVale Meeks' quotes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> because it was mostly us just lobbing questions, like long questions, or trying to get something out of him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's it, tough because there's so, there's so many. that a question? <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, like, you, you would see him interact with his teammates and he, he would just be a clown, you know. He just right. joking and and selling jokes, and you're like, "Oh, well, maybe today he will say something <laughs> yes. good." No. And you go up to him, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. this is a performance. Yeah, yeah. There's, sure there's so many fun guys to talk to. You know, either on the record or off the record. It's it's a, such a fun lead to cover that way, where you really yeah, you, know, mm-hmm. you get a great sense for these guys' personalities. But it, I mean, every every now and then he he would he would deliver some gold. Maybe yeah. not always intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I remember uh, when he lost the slam dunk contest to Blake, which to me. He was robbed. Yeah. He won yeah. the slam dunk contest. He jumped over the hood of a car, not even the whole car. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And JaVale dunked on two rims. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, he dunked on two rims. They, I mean, the dude dunked on two <laughs> rims. Like, that's, nobody can do that. Yeah. So, uh, so I remember going to him afterward, and I was like, uh, was like what, what else could you have done to win this thing? Oh, no. Jump over a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so he had, he had every now and then, even at, even after that triple double game, I remember uh, he had um, uh, Kevin McHale just killed him on NBA TV. He was like, "I don't ever want to see another highlight of this. This is the worst triple double ever." So I went up to Javelle the next day. I said, "Man, so you realize that a lot of people are criticizing your triple double, man? They're saying that." You know, it, you know, it just wasn't the best one. He's like, well, how many of them people got triple doubles? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. The man has a point. <laughs> you got to love JaVale, man. You got to love him. Every now and then, you come Every through man. with some gold. Yeah. That's pretty good. So what, what do you guys think about, about this team right now, where they're at, where the Nuggets are? I know Malone had said the other day that they, you know, the team goal is a 6-2 and two record on this homestand, which obviously got blown up on that, that Grizzlies game, but – you know, this was kind of the point in the season where we started to think, okay, maybe this is where they, you know, start to gel a little bit and come together on this homestand. Like, are, are they getting more to that point, and, and what is getting them uh, closer together right now? Mm. What do you think? Man, you know, every time I'm I'm ready to say, yeah, they're 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 starting to make steps toward that. Uh, then they show us some things that they've, you know, so that personality that they have uh, shown us prior to this season and, and lose games. I think generally, generally, if we're looking at it like on a like a stock market graph or whatever, <laughs> I, I, I think they're. I think they are trending generally up. Yeah. They do some things during games that get them beat. And I was just asking uh, uh, Darrell Arthur. I think this is after the last game. I said, you know, you guys have. I can't even count how many times that they've played three great quarters. And then they, there would be one disastrous quarter for whatever reason, whether it was they weren't shooting well, whether they turned it over a ton, uh, whether, for whatever reason, that gets them beat. And, you know, so Memphis, it was basically the first quarter. And then they'd spend all that time getting trying to dig themselves out of that hole. Yeah. Um, I was mentioning to Michael uh, a, a couple of days ago about the, the game in Dallas when they had seven points in the second quarter. And this was after they came out great in the first quarter, and you just—it was just inexplicable as to what was happening. But this, these kinds of things have been cropping up. I think this team generally is getting better. I do. Um, their record is definitely not reflecting that. There's, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think Brian Shaw's team had a better record to this point. I think they did uh, than than this one. Yeah. Um, which I think is—it's too bad for this group because I think this team is better than last year's team. They're playing yeah. uh, a more solid brand of basketball than last year's uh, team was playing. Uh, they're just not getting the results. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, they're limited talent-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I don't think there's a game that they go into where you say, 
maybe Philly where you feel like, okay, they got an advantage here. Yeah. Um, so I think that the fact that they're competitive, you know, says a lot about what they're, they're building and the fact that, you know, they're in every, all these games against contenders. Um, I think that says even more. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I expect this to be a playoff team. I definitely don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I mean, I thought this would be one of the worst teams going in, just looking at the roster, you know, just looking at the talent. Um, and I think that they've, in a lot of ways, exceeded, you know, what I would think this team was going to be. I mean, to to be one of the four teams that say they beat Golden State, right. even with or without, um, was it Draymond? Draymond. Draymond. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Steph was hitting some. Ridiculous yes. shots that night, <laughs> and he was like, "I'm not gonna let this team." Look. They still lost, so um, I think that says a lot, um, you know. Because when you're a young team, you got a lot of young young pieces, and they're trying to figure it out. Uh, you want to be competitive, but you don't want to accept losing. I think that's what's happening. It's like, well, they understand the limitations, they understand that they're not necessarily the best, but they want they want more. And yeah. there's a little carrot there. The fact that the West isn't as good, at least the bottom of the West isn't as mm-hmm. good. So they can chase that, and I think that that's that's what they're doing, and that's what the coaches can can kind of um, you know at least use as mo- motivation probably the first half of the season, maybe All Star break if there's like some more separation, right. you know, maybe yeah. the team emerges actually as that eighth eighth um, seed, uh, it might not be anything realistic, and maybe things fall apart. But I think overall, what you're building is something that you can sustain going forward, yeah. where maybe you get a nice draft pick or two, or you make a trade, make a trade this summer yeah. Yeah. when, you know, there's all that money around yep. and somebody's going to miss out on somebody or somebody may say, you know what, we got a shot to go after this guy, ship him out of here, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they can add that piece to help them, you know, push to get better. But I think what they're building is, is pretty solid so far. Yeah, I know people love to compare players, right? We always say this guy, is, maybe he can be like him. Or I know with Moody, it's been there's some people that say, oh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between him and John Wall or this guy, that and, Players always end up being themselves. You know, you end up, you, you never like somebody, but we always like to compare. Uh, what have your impressions been, Michael, of of Manuel Moutier? And do you see any similarities between between he and John Wall of their any tall. regard? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, really, because I mean, I I, uh, I I would say that with John, I mean, he was such a, like a firecracker when he came in. I mean, he was just all over the place. He was just um, – before he got – his rookie year, and I don't think people really um, really appreciated because Blake was, blew up so big his, his first year, and he missed his first year with the knee injury, then he came in John's rookie year. Right. But, like, the first, like, month of John's career, I mean, he was putting up some numbers that were just mind-blowing. I mean, uh, he his first, like, three games, four games, whatever, I think he had more assists than, like, Magic. And, like, we we had to go find all these, you know, <laughs> historical things that he was doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he he was such an incredible, phenomenal athlete. I mean, he would just just blow by everybody. He got the ball. He could get to the end. Of, still can. Just get the ball, get to the end of the court in three seconds. You know, and yeah. you're like, wow. Like, you just be blown away. I mean, the team was not very good. Um, and what was surrounding him was pretty bad. So a lot of times it looked bad because he was going, you know, one on four and, you know, or, or yeah, one on five or whatever. And just it looked like, oh, gosh, why can't he calm down and go one speed? When I look at Emmanuel, um, I see a guy who physically, you know, he's big. But I also feel like in terms of, um, you know, kind of playing it with pace, I think a lot of ways he has that kind of figured out a little bit. Um, where I don't think he's. I mean, he has a lot of turnover games, and, you know, a lot of that's from teams pressuring him and stuff. 
but I don't think I feel like he's out of control in a lot of ways. I think um, I think he looks controlled out there. And the other thing I like about him, and same thing, I guess I can't compare this to John, is that there isn't that intimidation factor when he goes up against you know an elite point guard. It's not like oh man, I don't know if I can go out here. I think you know he'll take his lumps. I mean you know if a Russell Westbrook comes in and gets twenty eight, yeah, that's part of it. But it's not like he's not going to make Russell work, too. And I think that's that's what has stuck out to me yeah. from seeing him so far. Is like, obviously, he had this, the ankle injury and stuff and trying to come back from all of that. But I see a guy who is a worker. I mean, I've seen him after practice and pregame. I, I know he's putting in his work. And uh, I guess we joked with him yesterday yeah. after practice. Oh, they had the music. They, they, Mike Miller came in yeah. and is playing all this country music and Garth Brooks and stuff. And, you know... Boutier's still sitting there shooting his free throws. And I was like, I'm sure he's not listening to Garth Brooks when he goes on his, uh, you know, goes home. But he was focused and he was putting in the work. So, yeah. uh, so I, I think that he's, he's – I, I, like, I like what I've seen out of him so far. I mean, obviously he needs to, you know, develop a left hand. He needs to not fade away on his jumper a lot. But I think the physical tools are there and the, the feel for the game is there. And I think he, he understands – uh, he's beginning to understand like when he should set up his teammates and when he needs to go. So, um, but to answer your question, I, I I think he's tall. That's really the only <laughs> yeah. way when I look at. Him. I don't I don't see John Wall when I see yeah, him. Yeah. I don't see that. Yeah. Hey, Chris, what do you think of Moody? Is we didn't really know his personality coming in. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, and that was the question here for for years with Ty Lawson. And Jeff knows this as well. Is yeah, you know, soft spoken, kind of laid back guy, and Moody is kind of the like that too right like yeah yeah i mean he is and um you know it's a, it's it's a weird situation for him you know because the construction of the team is kind of like this so you have veteran guys then you have international guys and then and and you know, he's technically an international guy but he's really not i mean he grew up in dallas <laughs> you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. um and then you have emmanuel and kind of like the closest guy to his age is Gary Harris, and I don't know that those two really hang out a ton. I don't think they do. Uh, so it's just kind of Emmanuel, and he's either here or he's at his house, uh, you know, doing whatever he's doing, and his family's here sometimes. So, um, you know, it's an interesting existence because I, he's had to find his way here kind of by himself, kind of. I'm sure there's... Uh, you know, the, the, you know, safeguards and people that they've had, you know, kind of hang out with them or whatever. But he, by and large, it's Emmanuel, and then he's kind of getting through this uh, on his own. And you know, he to me is he is definitely he's soft spoken to me. He's soft, he's he's so soft spoken in interviews. You almost have to lean in yes. to hear what he's saying. Yes. Um. But but once he, I, I think what I've come to find is once you once he opens up. Um, you know, he, he just, he's got this uh, big, he's got this personality that I think is bigger than what we all know just quite yet. Um, very fun young man to be around. Um, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed covering him. I really have, you know, um, and he's also very realistic. He understands the expectations. He understands when he plays well and he does, when he doesn't play well, you don't have to sugarcoat things with him. Um, and he's not looking for you to sugarcoat things uh, for him. Uh, so th- I think there's just a lot to like about him, his mental makeup and his personality. I think, uh, you know, that his maturity level uh, will serve him well, kind of going forward. I think like the most 
personality he's shown the other night was when he said, uh, I was like Emmanuel O'Neill out there at the free throw. Yeah, line. that was funny. But see, I think those are the <laughs> – but see, I, okay, so the, I think these are the little things that he totally displays behind the scenes if you know him, right? Yeah. So yeah. what he's what, – what's starting to happen is – so he's seeing familiar faces. Uh, you know, he hadn't been burned. So, you know, yeah. so he's – uh, you, you start to see him open up just a little bit, and I thought that that quote was a perfect example of that. And I think there's more of that in him. He just has to be comfortable, you know, you know, to doing it. It's hard when you're a, um, as you pointed out, 19 and surrounded by people who aren't culturally used to you, or are you used to them, or you know, a bunch of veterans. So it's really kind of an isolating thing especially for uh, someone who's 19 um you know you're still not drink drinking age <laughs> and you can't you know go out and do the same things that some of these other guys can do you're basically either at the hotel or at your house and all this stuff so really he truly he is by himself and he's also the most rookie of the rookies that came in this year he only had 10 games in china so basically for all intents and purposes he's straight out of high school and he's, it's going to take him longer, I think, to develop the skills that, you know, you need. It's, I, th- I, I think we can all see it. We can all see it. We, uh, you pointed this out too, Michael. You know, you, the poise, the, the, the actual f- you know, ability, the, mo- the mental stuff is, is there. Um, he just needs to correct some of his physical things and kind of develop some consistency. And I think it'll start to come up. But right now, he really all uh, he really is a, a, a high school kid, basically, at this point. So, Did you guys watch a reality show featuring Emmanuel Moutier, Nikola Jokic, and Yusuf Nurkic? <laughs> Would we watch that? Yeah. Would, Would it be it any sounds kind like of interesting? <laughs> it sounds like the start sounds of a like, joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Are they going to walk Moutier, into a bar? <laughs> <laughs> they all walk into a room. <laughs> That's why, that's, that's why you have Nurkic. That's why you have in there. That's that why. <laughs> provide the personality. But, I, but you know, actually, you know who I think is going to have the be- the biggest personality of the three is going to be Jokic. Like that guy, and we saw a little bit of that yesterday. Yeah. But that guy, man, he's just a big goofball. Is what he is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's funny. But you know, and I've fallen prey to this many, many times. They get on an NBA court or whatever sport it is, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and you totally forget their age. They're just they're professionals in your in That's your right. and, and and but like Jokic is nineteen or twenty. Mm-hmm. He should be like he should be a goofball. Yeah. I mean that that should be part of his personality. And uh, so it's 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 an interesting dynamic. It's, it's kind of fun to see. I mean, there's there's a lot of I think fun players on this roster, and as they grow older, and certainly. Um, you know, get more immersed in, in, in Nurkic's case and Jokic's case and maybe to a certain extent Joffrey, Joffrey Laverne too as they get more immersed in America and yeah. um, the culture and all that kind of stuff and they feel comfortable with their surroundings. Um, they'll, you know, they'll, you know, they'll blossom. Yeah. And it's, you, you, what, when you've seen, uh, Michael, have you, when you've seen Jokic and the passing that he has been done, I mean, we he, did a, he did a <laughs> behind-the-back pass through by, oh, yeah. by Marcus All that was like, everyone in the booth was going, oh, my God. And, you know, yeah. like, and when you see something like that, is that something that is a translatable skill in today's NBA as far as someone who plays below the rim? Is, it's, without the athleticism, can that kind of thing thrive in today's NBA? I mean, skill is always going to allow you to be on the floor. Yeah. I, I, I had a conversation with um, uh, Mike D'Antoni last year, mm-hmm. 
because I after the Warriors won, it sort of seemed like it was a, a validation of the system yeah. that he brought to Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know, so I asked about small ball, and he was like, you know, it's not really about small ball; it's about skill. And he's like, so you can just put a bunch of short guys out there, but if none of them have skill, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do anything. So if you're a seven-footer and you're skilled, there's a place for you in this league. Yeah. So, And I think that, that's what I like about Jokic is that he has uh, some skill. You can see it, like the, the, yeah. the half-court steal or steal when he's, uh, you know, pick um, Gasol's pocket, yeah. dribbles behind the back and takes it to the length of the court and dunks. Like that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I think yeah. overall, like, like even if you look at an Andrew Bogut, you know you, you look at him and you say, well, why do, why, do, why do the Warriors, you know, have him out there? You know, their their lineup of death is when Draymond goes to, you know, mm-hmm. well because he's still skilled. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people really understand when Bogut was the number one pick, you know, in two thousand five at Utah, that guy was doing things. People, oh, he's like Bill Walton, right? You know, That's obviously right. he didn't become that player, yeah. but I mean, he was. Um, He's somebody that can pass the ball, make plays for guys. And I think, um, you know, so even though the league is supposedly going to small ball, um, there's going to be a place for a big if you can actually do something on the court. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, just, there's just no place for guys who just go out there and just lumber out there. and I so, mean, so Like no, a Roy Hibbert type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No Oliver Miller's on that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Oliver Miller could step back and hey, shoot. Yeah, that. he could shoot yeah. that three. I was, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time. I know you guys probably have stuff to do. Dempsey, do you have stuff to do? You ready? <laughs> Was this a, a game day? Um, <laughs> Michael, you, we, you know on. you have stuff to do. <laughs> Dempsey, you're a slacker, so I know you don't have anything to do. <laughs> I know that uh, one thing that I found interesting just with the way that journalism is kind of changing, and I know we had Mark Spears on here once, and, and yeah. he talked about explaining to his dad that he was leaving the Boston Herald to write for Yahoo the Sports. Globe, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah, the Boston Globe. and. It was. It's a crazy time, right? We're we're leaving newspapers. Dempsey's obviously doing great work for the Denver Post here, the the last standing newspaper, the big paper here. Right. But is it has it been different to transition into just online media versus the print media for you? Absolutely. Um, but I honestly think that you know the last couple of years, print is now understanding the importance of digital journalism, and so I think last year when I was at the Post, I say probably seventy percent of what I wrote was all web exclusive. So um, it wasn't a thing where, you know, I had to worry about getting, you know, something in, in print or right. meeting an inch count or, you know, trying to get it in by, you know, 11.15 or, you know, meeting those kind of deadlines. So I think that as a newspaper guy now, you basically have to do – you exist in two worlds. Right. Um, where you, you have to, you know, appease the newspaper audience that's going to get, you know, the print copy. You have to, um, you know, appease the web audience that's going to – you know, want more stuff on the blog or whatever. Because I remember my last couple of years covering the Wizards, like I would do a main story, two, three blogs each day, and, you know, wake up and have another blog. And then so it was just I would just so I would grind so much that, like, you know, after a while, I was like, man, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. know, I couldn't I wait think, to the season uh-huh. game. So but yeah. I think that, you know, now as a as a print guy, you know, as you move over to the to, to digital, um, in some ways, it's a little liberating <laughs> yeah. to be um, on, on, you know, in a, on a website because, you know, the same expectations aren't there. I mean, of course, obviously now the goal is to write stuff that's interesting that people are going to read, where I think in, as a newspaper, you sort of take a certain, uh, I don't want to say arrogance, but you kind of say, 
we will give the people what they need. <laughs> we will give them these stories that, that will, you know, enrich their lives. And you Well, know. And, and the other part of that is is you get mucked up every day in injuries. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that you – it's very difficult to – all right, now you do you have the energy to – like report something else out that's really really interesting is probably way more fun and it would be you know do you have the time do you have the energy to do all that in the midst of everything else that 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 day to day that you got to do and it just bogs you down yeah. um to that to that point yeah and it's a it's a it's a funny existence like it just wasn't i mean we're i don't know i think we're right around the same age and yeah. You know, it just wasn't that way, <laughs> you know, when yeah. we got, got I, into the... I, I remember my, my first year covering the NBA uh, with the Hawks, that was 2002. And I remember I had to do a game story in a notebook. And I wrote a game story in a notebook every you know day or a main story in a notebook. And I was like, man, this is tough. I'm <laughs> working hard. I'm really working hard. Like, I don't know how. Man, I got to fly everywhere. Like, this is crazy. And then it's like, I was like, oh. Then I went to the post, and it's like, oh, now that we got to hit the web. It's like, oh, so we need a blog, post-game blog. We need a, a game story and a post-game blog. And we need a blog to go up the first thing in the morning. And we need a blog right after shoot-around. And we need another main story. And you got to write a couple blogs off of what's left off of that. I was like, wait, I'm writing six stories a day. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought I was working hard then, you know, back yeah. then. And so now the workload is, has gotten up. And that doesn't include like doing video. Like there was mm. a period where I had to do video mm-hmm. and, and uh and so much other stuff. And it's like, wow, this is this is this will wear you out. Yeah. You know. Um so but it's fun. I mean I, I think the one thing that helps in, in no matter what it is, if if you love what you're doing you'll find time for it and, you know, and it'll at least make the grind enjoyable because if you don't really like love what you're doing, you're investing so much time, you're losing a lot of time with the people that are important to you, whether it be travel or right. with work. Um, and, you know, so if you don't love it, <laughs> you will, it'll it'll kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I yeah. think if you love it, you know, you, you're willing to put up with some things because, you know, there there will time there'll be stories that you write that you feel good about. There'll be situations that come up, um, relationships that you build, um, and you're like, you know what, this is this is a good investment in, mm-hmm. in terms of life. You know, because I know a lot of people have a lot of friends that may may have jobs that have more prestige or whatever, and you know, may a lawyer or whatever or something. And they're like, man, I'm so sick of this. Right. I got, I'm not, I don't think those words that came out of my mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things, obviously, moments where you get fr- flustered and frustrated, but, you know, you still want to put up with it because there's no experience like it. We love to, uh, I love picking Dempsey's brain about where he likes to travel. Uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what stadiums or arenas did you find yourself going, oh, that's coming up? That'll be fun. <sighs> Man. <laughs> well, always, always, even before they got good, um, Oracle. Mm-hmm. Love going to Golden State. Those yeah. fans were so knowledgeable. They're fun. They they're great. Um, I loved going there. Plus, you know, you get to spend time in the Bay. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong. That, with that. never hurts. Uh, the L.A. trip always was one that it was like the first thing I looked for. Like, when they going to L.A.? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are they going there tw- at the same time or one right. time? Oh, I'm going in. Oh, I'm going in December and I'm going in March. Okay, so. So L.A. Usually for me, the West Coast trips are big, you know, because I live on the East. So like 
I mean, I still love going to New York, but, you know, it's not like a big deal. Oh, I'm going to New York. Right. Because you know, it's like yeah. a four-hour train ride. So, um, But I still love going to New York. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, so New York, L.A., the Bay, um, Miami, obviously, especially if it happened. It was Miami in February where I could get away from the cold for oh, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Chicago is a great city. And I look forward to Toronto. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, those, those are the ones that that really stand out. Basically, the whole NBA. Every, no, no. <laughs> every season, every city. Man. I, I don't want to name the one I don't like because I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 yeah. I do sincerely miss the uh, Seattle trip. No, though. me too. Oh, me yeah. too. Oh, gosh. <laughs> good sushi yeah. up there. So you guys get sushi in Seattle. In Seattle, yeah. man, I don't think I ever had sushi when I was in the, when when I was in Seattle. But I used to always go. Gosh, man, I've been to Seattle so much, but always seafood, obviously, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, that's basically what I mean. It was seafood, and then uh, it was Dick's, a game. Dick's hamburgers. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and twenty four hour fitness. I remember week. watching. Uh, I remember watching Bill Gates <laughs> did, did an interview for like sixty minutes or something. They went to Dick's, and I was like, "See, see, see? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're here. We all are on the same page." <laughs> I have to ask about the line too on your your Twitter bio it says used to love hip hop. Yeah. When did the love stop? Where did it go? <laughs> when did the love end? <laughs> when did the love go? Where did the love go? Where did the love go? <laughs> because the, all these love puns that now the Cleveland writers are using for Kevin Love. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I I I I think it was a couple of things. Um, I I still listen to hip hop. I still like it. I still um, buy occasional stuff. Um, but there was a period when I was younger when, you know, I would be at the record store, um, you know, rushing to buy something that came out every Tuesday. You know, I get two or three CDs. I go home. Yeah. I listen to them. I read the liner notes in the CD and just go crazy. And I was just really immersed in it. And I love the music. And uh, but I think, obviously, you know, you get older, um, you know, you, you you get married, you get into serious relationships, and sometimes it's tougher to listen to songs where that may be a little misogynist. You know, right. like you can't yeah. play them around your girl. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially if you respect her. Yeah. Um, so so that you know, so I think it just a lot of it was just maturing, um, getting older. Like I I know like there was a period like I have an older brother, and I remember there was a period where he just kind of stopped listening to, to, to hip hop and he gave me all of his CDs and I'm like, Oh, oh wow. Thank you. So, I was, I, so, but I, I just think that, you know, I just think it's more just getting older and maturing. I still like hip hop. I just don't love it. Like I used to, like it, it doesn't speak to me the way it did when I was younger. And in a lot of ways, you know, I feel like a lot of the music raised me in some ways, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause you know, where are you from? I'm from Kansas city. Okay. Born and raised. Yeah. So, uh, so, it, so it raised me for the good and the bad. So I remember, you know, when I came up, you know, we had, I had like Public Enemy, you know, mm-hmm. KRS-One yeah. and guys who yeah. would like, I would learn something by listening to the music. And and then, you know, then there, of course there became, you know, the Dr. Dre and yeah. I, I would learn other stuff that I wasn't aware of or, or, or but, you know, some of it I was obviously just, um, but, but I just think overall the music, I was able to grow. I feel like I, I came up during the era of hip hop when um, there was always like a new sound or a new kind of refreshing voice and there was an energy that just came with it and you just got on board and uh, after a while, I just didn't like the energy. 
I didn't like what was coming out. So I, I, I remember I, I had this conversation with my friend. I'm like, is it, is it us? Are we getting older or is the music getting worse? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll always say, I think it's a little both. But I also think that a lot of, a lot of what's being made now just isn't made for me. Yeah, you know, like right. I just, I can't, not the target I can't, audience anymore. Yeah, it's like, all about being relatable. Well, like, yeah, that's yeah, the you can't, you can't relate to that. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. And I and I, you know, I love hip hop. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting listening to you talk about that because uh, you know, growing up, the Public Enemies and the the X Clans yes. and the, <laughs> the uh, you know, you know, those groups you do grow up with. They do raise you to they raise your awareness to a certain extent. You understood. A little more from, you know, especially, you know, growing up when you're young African-American and you are aware of things or they make you aware of things uh, that maybe you should be. And um, I I think from that aspect, there's just not much of that anymore. And I understood hip hop. For me, hip hop was always a little bit more entertainment than that. But it's it served that purpose for me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the reason why I can continue to love it, because. I've always had hip hop for the most part, with the exception of a few groups, in in this box here, which is kind of like this is entertainment, man, and this is fun. Yeah. And um, you know, but I think the music did get worse. To be honest with you, <laughs> I the music got worse. And uh, but I think the music is getting better now. I, I think there's a period of time yeah. where it was bad, yeah. and I think it's getting better. I think it's again. getting back. Like I, yeah. I love, I do love listening to Kendrick. You know, um, I just I love I love his energy. You know, and stuff like that. So. I mean, but I, but I just, I, I just know that I'm not. I just don't have the time. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't have the time. You have to invest. Yes, yeah. you do in, in finding like, things you know, too. Yeah, like right? I would read all yeah. the magazines, hip hop magazines, yeah. and yeah. see who the up and coming <laughs> guys sure. were. You know, sure. or I would just, I was, I was immersed in it. Like, I mean, I have a pretty immense CD collection. So, um, so it just, it just, I don't know. I, I still like the music. But I always, I, when people on Twitter sometimes they'll they'll send me a, like, what what do you mean you used to love it? And I always <laughs> I always go back to the line from from uh, from Houdini, and I would say the words love and like both have four letters. <laughs> <laughs> They're two, two different, different things, things all together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, absolutely, I, I'm I still like it, and uh, and if I hear a song that you know makes me want to you know whip and nay nay I might do it <laughs> but yeah I'm not gonna go buy that no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's funny I, play I, it all the time. I was I always tell these guys you know it's uh, someone who always, always is like I I as a white kid from the suburbs you know it's like obviously I'm not my 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 hip-hop library is probably significantly smaller <laughs> than some other people and I I but I did listen to onyx um, you know, throw your guns. Mm-hmm. I listened to, uh, um, but my, 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 I was a big Bone Thugs and Harmony fan, okay? Oh, yeah. And as soon as the Art of War album came out, there's a large gap between now, from 1997 to now, that I completely missed hip hop. <laughs> that it, like, completely. You didn't even have a Snoop Dogg album? Yeah. I didn't even have a Snoop Dogg album. It was always funny because, so when I was going to University of Colorado, uh, the the joke kind of was no matter whose dorm that room that you went into anywhere on campus, they could like country, they could like rock, whatever it was. They always had that Snoop Doggy style. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody doggy, had Snoop. everyone had Doggy style. That's <laughs> what happened. Yeah, I never I never had Snoop. I I never did. I just that was Onyx, 
Um, and uh, God, I, I really love that. Yeah, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah. And then Art of War came out, and then like literally nothing. I, so I, there, there was no Pac in there. No Pac. Oh, I, you know, I, I have to take that back. Pockets, 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 pockets. Biggie, Biggie. You have a Biggie in there. Biggie, you a Pac guy? Biggie, because you know, was that Pac or Biggie guy? Oh yeah. I was a Pac guy during the feud, and then after they died, I was a Biggie. Oh, okay. Interesting. I've been just a, I'm a biggie guy. Really? I love Pac. I have Pac's albums. I have, yeah. I have them all. Hail Mary. But, uh, yeah, I have yeah. them all. But yeah, yeah. Maybe Machiavelli and all them. Um, but no, Biggie. I, was like, I can't oh, believe biggie. they're playing. Yeah, they're, I can't believe they're playing Hail Mary at, and during the, the games now. As a, but, but yeah, but you, I was like, play YMCA. I mean, yeah, well, you know, yeah. there we go. Different level. This classics. is what every. <laughs> <right. laughs> right. I always liked about Tupac stuff too. It was like just little three or four minute like short stories. Like every song was a different story or something. You know? it was, it was cool. Well, yeah. well, and Tupac just connected with the uh, emotion of it all. Like he, mm-hmm. you knew he felt every single word that he was saying coming through those speakers. Even with his contradictions. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know and. And when and Biggie to me was the story, like you could close your eyes with Biggie and ex- see exactly what he was rapping about. Like he, he would just, I mean, he would paint a picture, and um, and I don't know, I just loved it. What was that uh, album that uh, Puffy put out after um, uh, Biggie died? Life the one after that, death? Life After yeah. Death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't have been a double. And it should yeah. yeah, definitely shouldn't have been a double. Yeah. Oh, no, I, was, I did, I'm sorry. I did like yeah. Life After Death. There was another one that he came out with. I, I'm sorry. I love Life After Death. Yeah. It was the other one. Um, the one after he died, right? The one that came out. Oh uh, yeah, Life After Death came out right before he died, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the one so, like, right no after he died. Did, no, 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 no. There was mm-hmm. one that came out. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. I didn't buy it because I was like, ooh. <laughs> it basically, it basically took a lot of his him. old lyrics yeah. from other songs and just tacked them and on. And mashed them up. And mashed them up yeah. with other yeah. rappers. And I was like, wait, Biggie wouldn't have done a song with Nelly, would he? <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. No, oh, that's, no, he would not have. <laughs> no. No. All right. Well, we'll let you guys get back to it. <laughs> I love that we're ending on that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris Dempsey, Christopher Dempsey, thank you for joining us once again. Yes, sir. His name is Chris. Michael Lee, thank you as well. We, everybody looks forward thank to Thank you so much, sir. Your piece when it comes out. Yeah. I'm looking forward awesome. to writing it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be an all-nighter. Yes, it will. <laughs> yeah. It'll take yeah. some time. All right, guys, we'll get out of here, and we'll see you guys next week. Next week. Next week.